And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am here with my good buddy, Mr. David Pascarella. How you doing? I am eight. How are you doing? I'm here with bells on. Iron bell. Tonight we have kind of what is an impromptu episode. And I think, as I told Dave before we started, this might be what this might be a mini-sode because what happened to pull back the curtain is we were supposed to record tonight with myself, Dave, Scott, and Bill. And we had a whole big extravaganza planned, uh, which I won't go into what the details are of that. But Scott is under the weather, Bill is at work, and Dave and I don't want to do the extravaganza without them. So we had to scramble to find a topic so that we can keep you entertained as you've become accustomed. And that's, you know, that is our goal, to keep you in the lifestyle to which you've become accustomed. And it's a low bar, right? (laughs) A very low bar. Well, I, I specialize in low bars. Uh, so, so we're going to just cover one issue today and the, the way we picked the issue is it was the last issue I read. <laughs> so I said, let's just do it. Um, and luckily Dave has already read it. So we, you know, cause we are again, scrambling at the last minute here. So we, we can discuss this, this, uh, issue, but, uh, before we started to record, we were talking about our current state of comic collecting. And if you were listening to what was probably last week's episode, uh, Scott and I were go, you know, having a whole big conversation about, you know, how we've been searching out old issues and, and all. And Dave, when he and I have been at Comic-Con together and at comic stores, Dave's issue, uh, you, you correct me if I'm wrong here because I don't want to mischaracterize, but his want list if you have, you know, for what, lack of a better term, is much, much more focused than mine. Uh, usually it's uh, usually it's war books for the most part. There's some Superman things and a couple of, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to even think, maybe maybe some Star Wars things, but not nothing, you know, nothing too uh, extravagant. But unlike myself, Dave has continued to buy new books uh and that unless i'm misunderstanding is pretty much superman at this point that's it that's it superman and they uh if they bring out something with the justice society which they started that and uh eh, i don't know i've only read the first issue and (laughs) i may not get past that yeah, so I mean, it it is kind of the mantra of the show that you know we're 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 back issue people, uh, 
you know, my focus has definitely become, you know, between 1960 and 1980, although I'll stray slightly from there. Uh, but those are the issues that I'm looking to fill in. I made a run to the comic book store today and I posted on Facebook in the, uh, you know, the, the uh, back to the bins page. So I got, you know, one, two, three, four, six episodes, six episodes, six issues of the Avengers that I was missing. And as we were talking about before, I've, you know, for no real specific reason, uh, determined that I'm only looking up to issue 300 and I wasn't looking to go beyond that with my Avengers collection. But now with the issues I picked up today, I have a solid run from issue 88 to issue 300. And everything that I'm looking to fill in is, you know, on, on the lower numbers than that. What do those go for? You know, ballpark? Well, it depends. It it varies dramatically uh so today today at the store i got uh issues number 35 and number 37 which are a little beat up but i got them for five dollars each so that's 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 a pretty good buy i got issue 68 which was eight dollars uh and that's one that i had owned at one time and i don't know why i don't own it anymore i got issue 78 for i believe that was also eight dollars i got issue 93 for ten dollars and then the big ticket item of all things, and Scott and I discussed this in the last one, was issue 112, which is not even in really, you know, great shape. It's a little beat up, and it still cost me $20. Uh, and the reason that that's considered a key issue, and I would put key in uh, quotations, is because it's the first appearance of Mantis. Now, I personally think that Mantis's first appearing appearance should not necessarily bump up the value. I don't think and Mantis she's, Mantis the character from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I don't uh, think she's particularly a strong character in the comics, and I don't think she's a particularly strong character even in the movies. She's a good supporting player in the movie, but that's as far as it goes. So the fact that that bumps up the value, you know, it, it's just crazy as far as I'm concerned. That's the screen factor. And then the other one that we talked about last time when Scott and I were doing this is uh, I have almost filled my run of Captain Marvel, the Marvel Captain Marvel Volume 1. And I need one issue of that. And then there's one other issue that I want to kind of complete the collection. Uh, The the earlier one is issue 13 of Marvel Superheroes, which is the second appearance of that character, uh, which for some reason goes for very stupid money. And the other one is issue 27 of the series. And the reason that that one goes for big money is because it's the first appearance of of Star Fox or Eros, uh, who is played by Harry Styles. And that's considered to be a big deal. Is that because it's played by Harry Styles? I don't know. I don't understand why it's a big deal at all. But when I saw a copy of it in the store today, it was going for $50. And I quickly put that back in the uh, in the bin. Now, here's a better question. Who the hell is Harry Styles? Harry Styles was part of the group One Direction, the Ah. pop group. And he uh, he's now a solo artist. And I guess he's become an actor. He was in one of the post credit scenes in the movie The Eternals. Uh, And that's his only appearance in the MCU. But somehow, you know, I saw it like when I've seen it on eBay. They say first appearance, Star Fox, Harry Styles. So that's 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 what they're using to to make this a uh, a collector's item. See, I just don't su- get it. 
my Superman, I have a gap from, I need 151 through 160. And then I'd have the complete run. This is volume one. The thing is, now it's getting to the point where to get very good, you know, 20 bucks an issue on the, the, the low side. Now, 151 to 160 will give you a solid run from what? January 1962 to today, if you count volume two, volume three, whatever. See, now I just acquired a copy, and it's not in the greatest of shape, but my oldest issue of Superman by far uh, is issue 154, which I just acquired on eBay two weeks ago. Yeah, my oldest one is one of uh, uh, 44 from uh, March of 61. Yeah, my and I have, you know, I have huge gaps in my Superman collection. I, I haven't even tried to put that on a want list at this point. And Action Comics isn't anywhere near as good. I, you know, uh, going back, I think that goes back to the later 60s. I, have, I, I'm am, just looking. I am two issues away from finishing Captain Storm. There you go. Those and are you ridiculously know, I, I have, priced too, though. But uh, who the hell would want that? Do you know anyone in the audience listening who's out there going, oh, geez, I got to get Captain Storm. You are Captain the only Storm. Captain Storm fan I know. And that's why. Because who the hell saved this thing? Yeah, I guess so. But I, I have a, a soft spot for short run series. How, long, how many issues of Captain Storm are there? 18. Yeah, series like that, series where there's like 10 issues or, or 15 issues or even, you know, 18. Uh, I enjoy collecting those, having the complete run and just being, you know, done. I just did, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I got issue number five of Beware the Creeper, which, uh, you know, from the 1960s. I, I think it's 60s, could be 70s, could be early. No, I'm pretty sure it's 60s. In fact, I'm going to look right now. Uh Beware the Creeper. Issue number one was 1968, and it runs six issues, ending in 1969. And I, I, I only had issue one until, you know, maybe a year ago. And I've picked up the other five issues all for relatively cheap. And, you know, I, I'm, I was, I'm very happy to, like, have the complete collection of six issues. Uh, one, one of the first things I ever... Uh, I ever did on this show was uh, I did the first issue of the series Brother Power the Geek, which is a very obscure uh, series. It only ran two issues, and I got I found issue one very shortly after we had done it on the show, and then uh, issue two was just an empty spot for quite a while, and then I found that for like I don't know three dollars. So I was like, yeah, I was happy to scoop that up. But I, I, I get a lot, like great satisfaction out of completing these very short-run series. Uh, another one that's been kind of on my uh, want list that I've kind of gone after is from the 1970s when I first started buying books, all the uh, books from the upstart company Atlas Comics. And, you know, I... I Basically, keep my eyes open in the one and two dollar bins for those. I'm not willing to pay any significant money on any of them, but I found you know a decent number of them over the years. And I, I how have, long how long was Atlas around? 
not very. I mean, I think mo- most of the series are, you know, just I think the most extensive ones might be like five issues. You know, there's, there's not a lot of there's a, a good number of titles, but not a lot of issues in any one of them. So for, for whatever reason, I've, I've just put that entire company's run on my want list and I'm down to just a handful of them to need to, to finish that off. Yeah, I mean, uh, the war books, I think uh, I'd like to finish Captain Storm and then uh, complete our fighting forces. Well, that's Captain where, Storm, which, which two issues of Captain Storm do you need? Because I will keep my eyes open for them. Number 11 and number 13. Okay, I will keep my eyes open for them. And I would say if anybody's listening and you come across them on the cheap, because we don't want you to make any great outlays, uh, and you let us know, you know, we'd be happy to kind of uh, work something out. Anyway, so that's our collecting update. Let's talk some Iron Man number two, which, again, was the most recent issue that I read. So that's why we're covering it. Red, I thought you said Iron Man two. Isn't that with the, the whip? What's his name? Whiplash? Mickey, Mickey, Mickey Rock was in that, right? Isn't oh, yeah. that what you said? Iron Man yes, 2 we're going to cover. Yes, I did. Actually, and I'm going to cut this part out, but I have to send you a copy of the issue. I didn't realize I forgot to send it. I got it. it. Don't worry. I got it. Don't worry. I got it here. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, take All a look right. at this. Hold on. You're frozen on me. You haven't moved in like 10 minutes. So uh, I can't look. Yeah, no, I got it on the iPad. Uh, I have it. Don't worry. All right. All right. That's cool. So Iron Man number two came out. In, well, the release date was February 29th of 1968. And the cover date on it is June of 1968. The cover has uh, the cover is by Johnny Craig, who I'm not. I've heard his name, but I'm not overly familiar with his work. Uh, and it shows at the front, it's got Iron Man kind of uh, crumbled to the ground uh, with a uh, young lady who is uh, Janice Cord uh, cowering in fear to some extent just behind him at the uh, oncoming uh, menacing robot. And it says, enter the demolisher. Uh, and right off the bat, I, I got like kind of a, Fleischer Superman feeling for this. Because, uh, you know, all she has to say is Gort, Barada, Nikto, and, and it'll shut down. That would be cool. Does anybody it look who like has a green Gort? It does look Somewhat. like a green Gort. I didn't think of that. But anybody who has a uh, like the Google Mini or uh, I think Alexa as well, if you say. Uh, but it's it's. What is it? Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Oh, Klaatu. Uh, Why did I see God? They do react to it. In fact, I have a Google in the room. Hey, Google. Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Did you hear that? Oh, what'd she say? She said, I, I always translated that, that to Gort, quit it. <laughs> <laughs> If, if you if you say it, you know, it gives different responses whenever you say it for some reason. Some, somebody thought that was amusing and programmed it in, which I, I get a kick out of. 70 years later, it's still popular. 
Yeah. So I, I, I find the cover kind of interesting because Iron Man is in a, uh, you know, in, in a defeated pose, not very heroic looking. And extra cool about it at the bottom where it says enter the demolisher, Iron Man is resting his hand on that as if he's trying to push <laughs> himself up. So I, I think that just looks really cool to me. This looks like a, he's kryptonite. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we can tie everything into Superman here. So the uh, synopsis, which is on the Marvel Wiki page, reads as follows. A competitor of Tony Stark, Drexel Cord, is convinced Stark is more successful because of Iron Man. So he builds the Demolisher to destroy the Avenger. Cord's daughter, however, doesn't agree with her father and goes to warn Iron Man. The Demolisher finds Tony Stark on his private yacht and attacks, forcing Stark to put on his armor and fight. The Demolisher quickly sets his sight on the Golden Avenger, and the fight begins. Meanwhile, Janice Cord has gotten to the Stark Industries plant and meets Jasper Sitwell, who takes her with him to get to the Demolisher's master controls. As they arrive at Drexel Cord's lab, a medieval castle, the Demolisher has seemingly defeated Iron Man by keeping him underwater and on his way back to the lab with him. Sitwell and Janice break into the lab, but Drexel Cord activates the auto-destruct so they can't stop his creation using the controls. Luckily, Iron Man is still conscious, as it seems the auto-destruct destroyed something in the Demolisher robot itself, causing it to attack anything in its way, even Cord's daughter. Iron Man finally defeats the Demolisher by attacking the Demolisher's insides through an open plate in its back after Drexel Cord distracts the robot at the cost of his life. It's good that he has that little panel at the back because otherwise he would have been screwed. Yeah. Access point. So, you know, I know you to be primarily a DC guy. And yet when I brought this one up, you said, oh, I, I you know, I know this one. I, I've, I've read this one. And so that's my first point of curiosity is under what circumstances did you find yourself reading this? When they came out with the Marvel Unlimited, I got it for a year. And I was working my way through all the books in publication order. I think I got up to maybe, I don't know issue 50 or something of Iron Man, the original run. Hmm. I almost think, I'm trying to remember, was that at one point half a book or something like that? Yeah, it was uh, in Tales of Suspense. Uh, it was uh, Iron Man and Captain, well, initially, I think Iron Man was introduced in number 39, if my memory serves. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, just his book for a little while. And then they made it a split book uh, with him and Captain America. And it stayed a split book through issue issue 99. Uh, issue 100 became Captain America. And then they had this weird uh, interim book because at the same time you had Tales to Astonish, which was the Hulk and Submariner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that went to issue 101. And 102, it became the Hulk. So Submariner number one and Iron Man number one came out. But before they came out, they had a, a one-issue split book called Iron Man and the Submariner. And the two don't meet in the book. It's definitely a right. split book, but that, it's a one-issue book. That's what I book. remember, the split book with a Submariner. 
and and uh, that one issue is extremely pricey because I don't know if I ever owned it. I thought I had it one time, uh, but I, I have kind of gotten a bug that I wanted that, and I've looked for it on eBay, and it goes for, like, crazy money. Like what? Like hundreds of dollars. Oh, yeah. Jeez. So that's that's never happening, to be fair. Unless you hit the lottery, maybe. Yeah, well, I would always that would change everything. Oh, you wouldn't go back to, to work, huh? You, you know, it, you could we, build your own demolisher then. I and I would. <laughs> you know, we we had a talk when when they had the Mega Millions and it had gone up to like you know like a billion dollars or some crazy number like that, and uh, there there was talk like, well, you know, if you won. Uh, you know, would you finish out the year working? And I was like, are you like out of your mind? If I won, the only question would be whether or not I just called up to quit or if I physically came to the office to do it. Yeah. That would be the only question. It's not a matter of of, of staying on. <laughs> it would be, there would be no staying on. <laughs> That's not for that. For that kind of money, if you said you were staying on. You need your head examined. Yeah, no, it's and then then like you know having the talk with my wife about like you know what do you do because at the point you have you know fu money and what do you do with your fu money and she's like well would you want to buy a comic book store and I was like I don't know if I want to work that hard to actually run a store but you know <laughs> I could pretty much buy whatever I wanted I guess yeah I'd hang out at the comic book store <laughs> you improve your collection. I can't see wanting to work in a comic book store. Speaking of which, you know, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the Iron Man book, but uh, one of my friends sent me a, uh, a picture today of, uh, I, I guess, an eBay sale. I think it's eBay. And it's Amazing Fantasy number 15, a reprint version and they're asking, oh, it's actually, excuse me, Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man number one, silver foil reprints, $8,000. It sounds like, as Chris Honeywell would say, it's laundering money. Why? I mean, they're both, they are both uh, slabs and got a 10, which, you know, finding a book with a 10 is like ridiculously hard, but I don't care. They're reprints. But it's a reprint <laughs> from when? I don't even know, but I don't care. I wouldn't I would never think about paying that kind of money for well, I wouldn't think about paying it for the real thing, unfortunately, because that's just more money that I'm willing to pay for my hobby. But uh at least the real thing I could see where it's worth it. This is this is reprint issues. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know what it is, too? It's like uh, if you look at the solicitations from, say, my comic shop, mm -hmm. pick, Superman has like 27 different covers every month. Right. I mean, clearly, that's how you think you're going to make up the money you're losing. Yeah. But, but it I doesn't guess. say when it was published, this reprint, does it? That's what I'm just trying to look up as we're talking. And and I, I just I, I I don't get it at all. 
And foil re- foil covers were a big deal. I remember in the late nineties, right, early two thousands. Well, here I see issue number one on eBay, where they're asking two hundred and sixty nine dollars for it. Ah, but it's not graded, right? No, it is not graded. <laughs> Put in the thing. It's got a certificate of authenticity. How great would it be if someone paid eight thousand dollars for that? cracked it open and found that it was just the cover. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't I you know, I guess I'm I'm all for people who enjoy their collecting and they want to spend stupid money on things, but I just, you know, I enjoy collecting. I don't want to spend stupid money. So look at people who pay, you know, $150,000 for a car. Uh, at least that has more of a uh you know, of of a, a a purpose towards your life, a car, but I don't know. Well, although my comics have had, had a big focus in my life for many, many years, so I shouldn't discount them that way. <laughs> so Iron Man number two, uh, reading through this, and again, I just, just read it through the other day, I, and, and it really had the feel for me. Like I said, there, there was the, the feel of a cartoon to me, partially, like from the cover, even in, and the story-wise. It's a very simplistic story, uh, you know, with the madman who, who lives in a medieval castle in the United States. Uh, and, and the you know, the, the demolisher is, is such a, a basic-type character. Uh, and yet I still found it kind of charming to read. My question is always, where do these castles come from in the United States? She she said something when they got there. I'm going to just try to go to that page. She said, uh, yeah, he said, this is your father's laboratory. It has the appearance of a medieval castle. And she says, it is imported stone by stone. Dad dad insisted upon it. Uh, All costs more of his mania to outdo Tony Stark. So, she doesn't say where it came from, but clearly, you know, I got to think clearly some, you know, European area where they didn't, would have a medieval castle. Didn't Hugo Drax do that, too? Was it was it him in the Bond movie? We put the castle over or the estate or whatever it was. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I, I would just build my own new new castle. But it's not original. That's true. It's Silver foil. Fox. Silver foil castle. $8,000. The robot is great. The robot could have been in anything from the 40s up until the 70s, and it still works, I think. It does. It, it's Like I said, it's got a, a, like a simple charm to it. And the, the Johnny Craig art, I, I, I kind of like. It, it Again, it also kind of feels... It, it doesn't feel golden agey, but it feels very very silver agey uh i almost feel like i could see it like in a charlton comic i love this art this is my favorite look to iron man 2 the original type type yeah well it's because that's what we grew up with you know sometimes the the one the one you love the most is the one you got used to first and certainly for me that's this that's this armor well we've watched we watched the hell out of those cartoons. Yeah. But this armor, I think, lasted the longest, too. You know, this this is, you know, once once they settled into a, to a 
particular look. They had this look, you know, it started in Tales to uh, Tales of Suspense and it continued into the Iron Man series. I mean, there was the brief point where they added a nose to it, uh, which they quickly got rid of. But, you know, other than that, I mean, this 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 particular armor probably went, you know, well over 100 issues. Well over, probably, you know, closer to 140, 150, somewhere in that range. It's it, it's iconic. The art is great, though. The, the uh, Jasper's car. Mm-hmm. It's like. I can't tell if it's supposed to be like a Buick Riviera, but it's it's a nice. I think it's great. The art. Yeah, I mean it, it's it it is sometimes the facial expressions are a little simplistic, uh, but it's also uh, you know I think the storytelling is pretty sharp, uh, and and like the emotions that it shows I think are pretty cool. Uh, I'm looking at on the you know on the page that's numbered thirteen in the middle. You have Jasper throwing open the door to the laboratory. Uh, you know, you can kind of see the speed that he's coming in with. At the same point, you see, uh, what's his name, Cord, you know, kind of shaking his fist at him while he's declaring his triumph. Uh, you know, control auto-destruct. So it, it, it definitely, you know, presents... It, it presents the story in a way where you don't even totally need any dialogue, you know, and, and the dialogue does serve to enhance it, which I think it's Archie Goodwin. Yeah. Archie Goodwin did the uh, writing. Uh, and, you know, it, it, this, the, the, the dialogue doesn't get in the way of the story, uh, but it isn't necessary. Like you, you could just look at the artwork and you'd follow the story as to what's going on. There's just something about his look on Cord where I could hear Lex Luthor from the Super Friends laughing. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just, I don't know how far it's going to go because it's not really a reading project, but I just started reading some, some Iron Man's and, you know, I started in, at some point in tales of suspense and I'm working my, you know, just working my way up and I got to this issue. And again, that's why I picked this one. Uh, but it, it keeps me going. Uh, you know, it's not like, okay, this is so old fashioned that it's going to turn me off and I'm going to go away from it. In fact, it's so old fashioned that it makes me want to read more of it. Uh, it, it does have a silver age feel. It almost has a feel of, you know, like the very early stories where, where they came up with some villains that really weren't all that iconic because the destroyer certainly isn't, or the demolisher rather is not all that iconic. Uh, and, and they, they killed off cord in this first appearance. So that's that. I think Janice cord stays around for a short time, maybe a year or two. And then I think they kill her off as well. Uh, she could have crossed over and married Ted cord. Yeah, that would have made sense. <laughs> This was and it, fun. And then at the end, they give us the lesson where he says, uh, in all the madness, I tried to pr- produce a machine, the equal of Iron Man. I never saw the real truth that no skill could duplicate his most essential powers, a human heart and courage. Oh, crap. <laughs> you build that machine strong enough, his human heart and courage is getting crushed. <laughs> uh, if you hadn't put that panel in the back. 
<laughs> I, I find it amusing that there just happens to be the panel there for him to uh, to go after with a big bracon. You know, Tony Stark so rocks the Thurston Howell the Third look on the yacht. <laughs> yeah, he's got the, the, the captain's the hat, the, hat the blue jacket, and the white pants. Perfect. And when the demolisher comes in, he just shoves that woman aside. <laughs> uh, well, this is when, fun. you know, Tony Stark was kind of supposed to be a cross. But I, I always figured a cross between Howard uh, Hughes and uh, what's his name? Errol Flynn. Ah, uh, you see, it's funny. I was thinking Howard Hughes and Clark Gable. Yeah, you know what? That may be even a better call. You know, there there is a point I would imagine where if they had made a movie, Clark Gable would have played the part. Oh, I could definitely. Clark Gable would have made a great Iron Man. Is this before you know we had the drinking problem and all that? Or yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know if they ever. I I don't ever even remember seeing him drink anything before. Uh, you know, well after this. The, I mean, the drinking problem became a real issue in somewhere in the 100s of Iron Man. And I, like, I, I, I'm with you that I really I'm, I'm going to keep going through it. And I really just like the artwork in this. Uh, and in my mind, I'm comparing it to what they did later in the series when George Tuska took over as the regular Iron Man artist. And I really didn't like that. I apologize to our friend Luke, who's a fan of it. Uh, I love the stories, but I didn't like the artwork at all when George Tuska was doing it. Uh, and this this is I, w- I would like to have seen more of Johnny Craig on uh, Iron Man. I don't think he did a lot of comic book work. That's well, a shame because it's very enjoyable. I'm taking a quick look at that if I can find him. Let's see on the Marvel Wiki. Johnny Craig. Uh, was born in 1926, died in 2001. He did, according to, oh, no, they just have images of nine covers, 24 issues that he worked on as a penciler, and 72 that he worked on as an inker. But that's the images that you can link to. I don't know that those are his only ones. But that's, you know, that's still not a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, tremendous body of work. You're making me regret that I didn't continue with that Marvel reading project. Well, it's never too late. Uh, I, I, I'm in the middle of the DC reading project. I started in 1936. I'm up to 1940. Now, Johnny Craig was an American comic book artist notable for his work with the EC Comics line of the 1950s. Interesting. I wonder if he Later got blacklisted career. at all. After, after EC, EC's collapse in the wake of the United States Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile, Juvenile Delinquency Hearings, Craig worked briefly for Atlas Comics, the 1950s predecessor of Marvel Comics, then spent several su- successful years at an advertising agency in Pennsylvania. Though he lamented his responsibilities, they have prevented him from drawing much. He returned to comics in the 1960s, with art for ACG's Unknown Worlds and other titles. 
he, he's resurfacing prompted Warren Publishing editor Archie Goodwin to have Craig draw for Warren's magazines from 1966 to 1968, during which time Craig, who still worked in advertising, used the pseudonym J. Tacey, a phonetic pronunciation of his four initials. Uh, of his attempts to work for DC Comics and Marvel Comics, however, comics historian Mark Evanier wrote, by any name, the work was excellent, but Craig's efforts to work for the big two, DC and Marvel, was not as successful. In 1967, he applied at DC, recalling the excellence of his EC stories. Editor George Cashton gave him an issue of The Brave and the Bull to draw, a batman Hawkman team-up. Craig handed the job in weeks late, whereupon his art was de- deemed too subdued even for the relatively staid DC superhero comics of the time. Before publication in issue 19, in number 70, the pages were heavily retouched and revised as to expunge any trace of Johnny Craig's style. Evanier wrote that Goodwin, now writing for Marvel, said that every so often we try having him pencil an Iron Man or something, but it never worked out. He couldn't draw superheroes the way they wanted, and he couldn't hit the deadlines of a monthly book. After penciling and inking Iron Man number two, and a supernatural story in Tower of Shadows number one, heavily retouched by John Romita Sr., Craig became primarily an inker. He did, however, complete Iron Man number two through four, 14, 24, and 25. And he's the inker on on number five. There you go. For George Tusker. So I'm just looking quickly at this going, I like the art better than he did in number two. In number five? Yeah, number two's art is better, in my opinion, my humble opinion, than number five. Well, and and that goes back to what I was just saying, that I prefer his artwork to George Tusker. Without realizing that he inked George Tusker in issue number five. Now I'm going to have to look at that. I think issue number five might be the earliest issue that I own of Iron Man. So we'll take a quick look at that. And... Iron Man number five, yeah, that's the earliest issue I own with uh, some weird looking dude on the cover. Anyway, so might as well rate this one. Uh, I like the fact that the cover is atypical and it does feel like very old worldy, old worldly to me. Uh, you know, it almost feels like a like a 1940s or 50s cover, uh, and I think it. I, I mean that in a complimentary way. I think it's mm-hmm. very cool. Uh, so I'm going to say a solid B plus, and I, I kind of almost want to bump it up to an A minus, but I'm going to give it a solid B plus. The interior art, and I see what they say, they could, that it's not you know your typical art of the time, but I think that's one of the things that's most charming about it. Uh, I could understand where the, you know, they weren't ready for, for that kind of difference. Uh, but I, I, I would have more of a problem with him just not being able to keep up with the schedule than I would have his actual artwork. So I'm going to give the interior art, I'm going to say a solid B. I really enjoy it. Uh, and the story's just kind of fun. So I'm going to say a B on that as well. And I'm going to give the, the book overall, you know, the sum of its parts is a B plus as far as I'm concerned. I'm right there with you. I, I, I bumped the cover up to the A minus because uh 
you know, you have. I always say you have to look at things in the time, you know, that it was published. And to me, that's an A minus. I really like the interior art as well, and I would give that an A minus as well. And the story's a solid B for an overall rating of a B plus. It was a fun experience. Really enjoyed it. All right, so we we landed in the same place and. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it as well, and I was glad that I at least had this one to bring forward today when we were scrambling for a book to cover. Uh, and you know, I think we, <laughs> I think we 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 got a, a decent episode out of it. So I hope everybody enjoyed listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.